Well, today we are in 1 John chapter 4, wrapping up the chapter. We're going to be right down at the end of the chapter. There's about four verses we're going to look at, the last four verses of 1 John chapter 4. And for those of you who have been studying with us through this, you recognize we're looking at love from a lot of different dimensions. Love here, last week we looked at the flow of love as it flowed through the river, the great river of the Amazon. We looked at its origin, the source of love with God flowing. And we looked at where love goes and how it just pours out beyond ourselves and God's intention is that love is never harnessed in boxes or cubicles, but the love of God just keeps flowing in the most magnificent ways. Now today as we read these four verses and then go back to them, we are going to see four final love lessons as Paul signs off 1 John chapter 4. Four final love lessons that we can take home. They, there are a little more hands and feet as I first looked at this. I thought, well, they're really pretty simple. But no, they're really pretty challenging because in their simplicity, these lessons take us to a depth of walking with Jesus that often will stretch us. It takes us to a depth that we may not have first saw. So let's read together, beginning in verse 18, 1 John 4. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. The first love lesson we're going to look at this morning, you'll see in the first verse with me, when John, our beloved apostle, the one whose feet we've been sitting at, as he sat at the feet of Jesus, has been teaching us when he writes, there is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. And here John is saying, when perfect love is in our hearts, fear is gone. It just goes. Perfect love casts out fear. There is no room in our heart for fear and perfect love. One's going to dominate. Whenever perfect love isn't there, you'll find a companion is going to be fear. It's going to come. When perfect love is there, the Word of God here says, perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. The word fear, phobos, is, is a reference to terror. It's a reference to fright. It's a, it's a reference to anxiety. That little what if that wants to linger in the heart. And John, as he's writing, and he says this perfect love just cast out the fear. It's gone. We come back to this great truth this morning of the love of God and how last week we looked and how we saw how everything really begins with God. He is the source of all love. 
And as we study this together today, we're going to see this again, that God is this wonderful source of love that casts out such amazing fear in so many places. Perfect love casts out fear. Now when we're speaking about this, we must, we must identify what is happening here. I'm going to shift around this thing because it's popping a little bit. I, I ran at my clip, Randy, when he was out getting that coffee. But anyway, uh, yeah, I, I know you heard it. But anyway, we're, we're looking at the fear of man because the word definitely will teach, we'll see this in the Bible, a very clear fear of God. It is, a, it is a wholesome respect for God. It is an honor of God. It's that part of us in the spirit that we're in awe of God. We see God work and we just stand back and go, it is amazing how God works. And all of you can testify in different ways. But we also recognize this perfect love that casts out fear is, is like a snare. Even Proverbs says, the fear of man brings a snare. When the perfect love is, is not in our heart, for the Lord God from heaven, as he gives us his spirit, we saw that last week, the flow of love, the result of that love is, is fear. But when that flow goes through us, there's no fear. Love conquers fear. Love overcomes fear. Love casts out fear. And this is what John is saying here. I want you to follow me in your Bibles this morning. I'm not going to have this up on the screen because I think it's probably good occasionally for we, us to even have this little discipline. In Isaiah, if you want to open your Bibles to Isaiah or pick up your, your iPad, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. If you don't have a Bible, you want a Bible, there should be a Bible right in front of you in the chairs here. And grab that Bible. If you don't have a Bible at home, take it home as a gift. Let it be a gift from God to you. It's just here. All we are is just little instruments that hold God's resources for a moment, and then they're gone. And as we look in Isaiah, I want us to see this great truth of fear, but in, in, before we look at this, let's look at Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 4, because there's something very unique about Jesus as Isaiah prophesies of his coming. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. This is Jesus. And a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of God will rest on him. This is Jesus. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and strength. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Look at this with me. Fear of the Lord was with Jesus, the very one to whom he sent into the world. And so we're looking at this perfect love that cast out fear, and he will delight, notice three with me, he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth, and he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. And so you notice a couple of things about the Lord Jesus, is the Lord Jesus had the fear of God. It's a wholesome fear, but we're also recognizing that the perfect love of Jesus within us drives out that unwholesome fear of God. 
that unwholesome fear, that fear of man, the fear of what if, the fear of how about if this happens, all of those things that could happen and happen so easily. But another thing that's interesting about this, it says he will delight himself in the fear of God. This is the Lord. The Lord coming to this world as a Messiah delighted in the fear of God. Sometimes we think, well, that means that we walk around in fear with this long face and a wonderment, well, what's going to happen? No, Jesus delighted himself in the fear of God. And this is very important as we look into the study this morning of fear. But remember, the first thing, first simple takeaway is perfect love will cast out fear. It will go. It's going to leave when perfect love is in our heart. Isaiah 41 and 10. You'll need to travel a little bit there to get that. One of the, one, a precious verse often quoted, used in many messages, many times. Do not fear, for I am with you. Notice what God is saying. You don't need to fear because I'm there. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. Notice what he's saying. You've already got me. I'm there. You don't have to go very far. I'm already there. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. And this is God. So he's saying, you don't have to look anxiously about. You don't have to fear. And you can rely on me because I'm faithful to supply in every way. I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This is God. He's saying, you don't have to fear because I've already got you and I have it. This is so important regarding fear. I've got you. I've got it. You don't have to fear. And we don't have to fear because of that. In verses 13 and 14, same chapter, 41. For I am the Lord your God, who upholds your right hand, who says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Again, he says, now I uphold you. And I also help you. He is reaffirming his helping power to these people. I will help you. Do not fear, you worm Jacob. You men of Israel, I will help you. Saying, Even to you strong ones, I'll be there. I won't let you go. I will help you, declares the Lord, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously, here comes that word anxious, that worry look, look about you, for I am your God. He said, when you see me as your God, you don't have to worry. You don't have to anxiously look around. I will help you. Do not fear, you worm Jacob. You're, I will help you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. And God's saying, I'm holding you up. I wonder sometimes if heaven itself will not reveal to us as we might, even maybe in the judgment seat of Christ, you just think about this, and all of a sudden the Lord says, I'm going to let you just see how many places I held you up you did not even know. You know when the word says God wipes away every tear from our eyes? I've wondered if that could be what happens in the judgment seat of Christ. We just weep. God, you were working in places we did not even see. You were holding us up at places we had no idea your hand was strengthening. Your power was maintaining in places. Lord, I didn't get it then, but I get it now. You're the king of kings, and your grace 
is much more sufficient and powerful than I ever saw in this world. But what God is saying to Israel is, I am God, I've got this, I don't want you to fear because I am your God. But fear comes in many ways, many packages, many places. And you, every, every one of you could tell several stories of fear. But a story I read was a fear came from this, this mom that had eight children. Her name was Mrs. Monroe. She lived in Darlington, Maryland. And she left all eight of her children at home, and she went shopping. And when she came back, her hands were full of groceries. She walked in the, in the house, and it was getting, the house was getting dark, and all of her children were sitting perfectly in a circle, and she was really amazed until she took a step closer and she realized that every child had a little baby pet skunk in their hands. And skunks, I've read this, and we used to have them in one of the places we lived. It was quite many skunk stories, but, uh, but with it, uh, she shrieked in that fear that most moms would do and said, children, get out, and the skunks did what skunks do. But fear is real. What I'm saying is we, we cross it. I don't know how many of you get to this place, but God has, even in this study, would take me to a place of, of addressing a fear that I didn't want to address. There are a few of you here who know what that was. But I didn't want to go there. I just did not want to go there. But God will take us to a place that fear, with fear we have these these little blind spots, these places we do not see. Maybe Mrs. Monroe thought, I'm a great, great mom, I do a great job at home. Until she reached that place, she saw the skunk. It probably won't be a skunk with us, but it comes to something we see that God says, I want you to address your fear. Now before we go further, as we, because that verse we're looking at right away here is, there is no fear in love, perfect love casts out fear. I want you to read with me Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 5, and recognize the tremendous blessing and power that was speaking of the coming Messiah, the work of God, and how triumphal and victorious his work is in our heart, and how it just frees us. In so many ways, Isaiah 61, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Isaiah prophesying of the coming Messiah, but more, even what the Messiah would do, not only with them, but in them. Behold, for behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the people's but the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes round about and see. They are all gathered, they all gather together, they come to you. Your sons will come from afar. Your daughters will be carried in the arms. Oh, I love that. The consolation of a parent today that my children can be carried in God's arms. Then you will see and be radiant and your heart will thrill and rejoice because of the abundance of the sea will be turned to you and the wealth of the nations will come to you. 
And it just seems like when I read this in Isaiah, it's just prophetic of an, just an overflowing fountain. And God's saying, you get so many blessings when you receive the Lord God as your strength and trust in him and to know that there is no fear in love because God cast out the fear. It just leaves. God does it. It isn't something we just snap our fingers at. We simply believe, we trust God, and God cast out the fear. You know, March 1st of 1975 was an amazing day for me. I've wondered sometimes why Christians don't keep their spiritual birthday rather than our natural birthdays, but that was the day that I met Jesus Christ face to face. But there was something that was a part of me. I was kind of a tough guy. But inside, I was fearful. And the closer I got to conversion, the more that, that fear was there. I can remember leaving Debbie's house at night, and I had a 15-minute drive to my place. She was in the city of Modesto. I was on the north side of town. It took 15 minutes. And I would calculate toward the end of my into those into my natural life what I would do if a car came the other way and came in my lane because I, I was fearful of dying. It was a big thing. Fear is a, uh, like Zach Williams says in that song, fear is a liar. He'll, he'll take your breath and he'll stop you in your steps, but he reached that point that fear was just dominating everything. And there's something else that became real, real in my life. God kept speaking. Some of you have been there. Bad dreams all the time. I, I woke up with nightmares. They were just there. They were just haunting me, chasing me. But I did not realize how much the Holy Spirit was working to bring me down to a place I would surrender completely to Jesus. But you know what happened that day in a surrender, total surrender, in a little Carmen Ghia car, something happened that was amazing. The bad dreams left. They were gone. I did not feel those dreams. They, they would not, I would not wake up in the night with the sweats. I no longer woke up seeing myself. One, to, one time I dreamed the church was raptured and I was left behind. And I was running through a dairy my grandfather owned, running from the persecutors because I didn't want to take the mark of the beast. But fear, when God is our light, our salvation that Isaiah has been sp speaking about here, fear is gone, gone. And, and I don't know how, because there is no fear in love, John says, perfect love casts out fear. David, in the 23rd Psalm, no, let's take tw Psalm 27, 1. Let's put this one up first, and then go down to the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? You see the difference? He makes the difference. The Lord is the defense of my life. Of whom shall I dread? Dave, David is saying God makes a difference. He is the difference maker in fear and in dread. Psalm 23 and verse 4. I'm just going back a couple of verses. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And that psalm just goes for, just keeps on going blessing and blessing and blessing and blessing. 
One more verse here in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 16. The servant of Elisha had looked around and saw all these armies that were gathered, and they were doomed. I believe he, in his mind he thought, we're done. We are done. There is no way we'll ever be able to conquer the enemy. And then Elisha answered and said, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Get that. One with God is a majority. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. God said, for a moment, open, open your eyes. Has God ever for a moment opened your eyes? Just opened your eyes and you saw. I, we would be amazed if we knew how many places God is in his protection, his provision, and taking care of us. It would just amaze us in so many ways. But here was this, this dear one who just looked up and says, look around. And all around in the mountains was the horses, the chariots, the protection of God. And God is doing that in every life that's here. Every single life. We don't see it sometimes, but I believe when John was writing this, He's saying, this is why we can partake and believe in this, that, that the Lord, when the Lord is here like this and there's no fear in love, perfect love casts out fear. It's gone. Now I have three final lessons here. We will not spend quite as much time in these lessons, but they are also a summary, just like this first lesson was, in the area of, of love and what love really does and how far love really reaches. And I, I believe one of the reasons that John took as much time as he did to write about love is it is so, uh, it is so much a part of our life. It affects so many intricate parts of a church life, of a spiritual life, of a family's life, of our relationship life. That love is just simply everywhere we turn in so many ways. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. That's all it says, but it says so much. God moved first. God so loved the world, we know that. We looked at that verse last week that he gave. God moved. Maybe you could take it like this. We looked at God, God looked at us, and from eternity past, God blinked and says, I will send my son. You see, we looked at God and said, I don't need a savior. We thought we did. His own creation, he was in the world. In John, John defines this, the world was known by him. The world didn't know him. They didn't see him. God blinked. God says, I will send my son. Today we partake of communion expressing a truth that is so life-sustaining, so life-encouraging that God sent his son. God moves first. Whenever God stirs you to love, 
and I believe he does. I, I, today I just was walking out here before services and a sister walks up and she shares a certain need and last weekend the same need came up and I thought, God, maybe you'll stir some people in this church to love that way in giving. But wherever God stirs that love, God moved first every time. We didn't just think it up and we didn't put the pros and cons down and say, I'll just go ahead and do this. God moves first, guaranteed. Every time God reaches across the line, he goes over, over the top of the bridge. He, he goes into all different kinds of alleys and caves and caverns to move. We love because he first loved us. There's, there's few stories in the Bible that portray it any, any greater maybe than the story of the prodigal son who, who wanted everything that he could take so he could go out and spend the inheritance. And the word says that he took everything that his father could give him, all of his inheritance, and he takes off to go to another land. And he begins to be in want, and he's out there feeding the swine with the husk that were there. When he came to himself and he looked back at father's house and he says, my servants have more than me. I'm going to go back. But God, but father was already moving. It may be that in this room this morning, God is speaking to someone to make that move because God has made that move toward you. Let God fill in the blanks. That servant's on his way back to father's house, and the word of God says, from a long ways off, the father saw him coming. He saw him way out there. And the word says he just came running to his son. You see, God doesn't just say, okay, I'll I'll take one step and send my son. God says, no, I will come to you as a babe. You know what else is, is surrounded the, the Eucharist we're going to partake of today was the Lord Jesus Christ taking off his robes and getting down on his knees before he went to the cross and grabbing some gnarly, dirty, ugly feet and washing them and then saying, do what I have done to you. God moved first. This is who he is. You know, I read about this, uh, about this uh, father whose son had left many times, and, and every time the son left, and I'm sure some of you could tell the story, and every time the son left, he, he came back, and the dad just loved him, and he finally looked at his son one day, and he says, son, he goes, this is the fourth time I've killed a fatted calf. Is this the last time, or where is it going to be? when you think about God, God has killed the fatted calf many, many, many times for you. You know, I think we'd all like to project this picture that we walk into church, we become Christians in Christ Jesus. We sit in heavenly places and we kind of turn on the spiritual faucet and we're rolling down the road in cruise control. It doesn't work that way. You know how it works? We start moving from God And God moves. We love because he first loved us. 
we start drifting. It might be just in a thought. It might be in a poor me party. It might be in some habit I'm leaning back toward that I let go. We start drifting, and God keeps coming. The amazing truth of God is he just doesn't give up. And when, it, when we look at that verse, as small as it is, it says so much. And John has been saying this different ways at different times. But he's saying, God, move first. Don't forget it. God, all love begins with God. Everything. It originates with God. God is love. And that which comes from the life of a Christian is because of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. One of the great, great triumphal writings written on the grace of God, where Paul is writing about how it's the grace of God that makes a difference completely. Not just partially, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Notice the movement of God, the first movement of God. If you just travel back in that verse in front of us again, if we could, good, so we can get it. But God, God made the difference. God made the move. It was because of his rich, rich mercy, because of his great love, his love to us. And notice when he loved us. He loved us when we were dead in our transgressions. He doesn't love us because we're good people. He doesn't love us because we're great people to hang out with. He loves us because he's God. And God is love. And God moves first every time. And when we are overcome by the... By, the, by some demonstration of love. It may be in our own heart that God just strikes us over this time, sometime, and God, I'll do it. I will do it. Whatever that is, if we are overwhelmed or we witness that in the life of someone else, one of you serving, loving, there is one truth for sure, God moved first. We didn't move first. God did God spoke to us. We felt it in our heart, and our life was changed because of that. Verse 20, the third takeaway this morning as we wrap up this chapter. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar for the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Third takeaway, this is a really hard one. This is really hard because you cannot love God and hate your brother. It's not possible. John clearly defines it right here. He says, if you look at this again, if someone says, I love God, but I hate my brother, and that doesn't just mean you walk up to your brother and say, brother, I hate you. No, I just deflect him. I turn away from him. 
I just act like he's non-existent. If I love God and hate my brother, the word of God, we're a liar because he says, for the one who does not love his brother whom he's seen, how can he love God whom he hasn't seen? We cannot love God and hate our brother. It's impossible. If we're struggling with hatred of a brother or a sister, let's go a little further to the neighbor, the person we're working with. There is a, a real sense through which the Spirit of God beams on us, and he says, do you love God? Do you really love God? Because it is so essential that we love our brother because he moved first. And when we see that, we begin to recognize that amazing thing. God moved first. I love my brother. You know, God's children, one of the, one of the truths of the children of God, wherever they've existed on the face of the earth, it's, it, it's true uh, in places that we have worked in, foreign areas even. You know what the one mark is of those people? They love. That's what's different about them. They love. It's not that they got the right theological concept. It's not that they're even in the right church hooked to the right people. They love, and that's what makes the difference. The people of God love because God loves them, and they know that God moves first. The people of God forgive. That's another characteristic of God's children. They forgive. We cannot receive the forgiveness of God and refuse to extend the forgiveness of God to others. It doesn't work. We can't do that. If the inflow is coming in our life, there needs to be, just like we saw in the Amazon River, there needs to be the outflow. It's got to go out. And you know, you know what's weird about this is when God speaks of loving our brother in the Word of God, it's, it's not just me loving someone I like to hang out with at Starbucks. It's not the person I just like to go to the ball game with. It's speaking of loving the person that's hard to love. That the only way to love is through the agape love of Jesus in our heart to them. That's the only possible way that the love of God is possible. Is God, as you, as I see that you move first and you come into me, love them through me, Jesus. Love them through me. No matter what that means, God, love them through me. Forgiveness, I read this definition early this morning, is surrendering my right to hurt you for hurting me. Kind of interesting. But that is, that just, I read this. I read an interesting story about John D. Rockefeller recently. And John D. was at the time of his era known to be probably the most wealthy man in the world. And some would say if you took his net worth and you put it all together in today's terms, it would be way over the top of the richest person in the world. But I read a story about John that happened in, in, their, in their corporation environment where one of his leading executives made a multi-multi-million dollar error in a decision. And that multi-million dollar error in today's world would just multiply many times. And all of his colleagues and executives that surrounded watched John to say, what will he do? What will he do when he finds out this place is going to just rip up and fall apart? And one man was called in John's office one day, and he just shook because he thought, I'll take the blow. I'll take the blow of this. 
And he got in the, in the office of John. And he sat there with John. And John says, I guess I will address this one area with you. And he says, the one area I want to address with you is about the error that was made of the guy. But he said, I was just writing a list of all of this individual's good qualities and all the things he's done for this company and done for other people. And I've been making a list of that. And then I looked at what was lost over here and it was nothing compared just to who he has been. And there's no way I cannot just totally clear that debt. Forgiveness sees the balance, the imbalance of God's forgiveness toward us. And let's go. It's an amazing thing. But the word of God here just teaches this area that uh, if we do not love our brother, we can't love God. Now the 21st verse kind of says it a different way. It says a lot of the same, but it's saying it a little differently. If you look as we come to the end of, end of our message this morning, and this commandment have we from him that the one who loves God should love his brother. If we love God, we love our brother. Now he's saying, uh, if, 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 you're, if you love God, the result of that is loving your brother. It is the byproduct. It is that which flows from our life. We don't have a choice. We've already seen God's love. We've received it. We've seen how unconditional it is. We've seen his movement. We've recognized the source of that. And here, John is writing and saying, if we love God, we'll love our brother. And I guess the, the takeaway I get from this is love is impartial. Love doesn't put up walls. Love loves all. It just keeps loving. Someone asked Abraham Lincoln right at the end of the Civil War that what he was going to do with the enemy when they came back into the fold of the United States. What would they do? Abraham, what, would you, what will you do with those people when they come back in? And this is what Abraham said. I will treat them as if they had never been away. That's love. I will treat them as if they had never been away. You know, you think of that story of the prodigal son, and he goes running back to the father, and the, the father comes running to him, and he just has the great feast, and he brings the, he brings the, the beautiful clothes and it puts on him and just blesses him and just pours out his love upon his wayward son. He had never been away. That's what God sees. I love that verse in the Word of God that says, when the sin of our sin is forgiven... It says, and their sins and iniquities I will, I will remember no more at all against them. God doesn't reach back in his pocket and pull it out. Love forgives and love releases and love lets go. And God begins to do some amazing things. You look at something like this and... and uh, Let's travel just slowly back over these simple truths we're looking at, and yet they're all challenging to me, and I'm sure they're challenging to you. And then let's just uh, come to the end of the message as God speaks to us. 
There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Where there is true love for God, fear is gone. We don't have to have it anymore. It's over. That second truth that is so beautiful here is we love because he first loved us. Love originates with God. God makes the move to us. And then he says love. You see, when we stop loving, we forget that he moved. We just forget. It happens in so many ways and places. That third, third area again we look at is if, if someone says, verse 20, I love God and hate my brother or hates his brother. He's a liar for the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. If we don't love our brother, we don't love God. That's what the word says. We give that to you just to pray about with me as God has been speaking to me like he's speaking to you. And this command that we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. They just flow hand in hand. Our love for God, God, bring in the family of God. Bring in my neighbors. I don't know if this hits you, but uh, it, it does me every year. Sometimes I get touched by a sense of selfishness this time of year in conviction. What it is, is you know what? If we're not careful, we're just going to hang out together with people that really don't need our love like someone else does. And pretty soon, as good as what we're doing, at a season like this, we're forgetting the best because God loves someone else deeply that he wants to see his love. Let God speak to you there. I don't know where that is, is in your life. I just think it's something that is really real with me. It's just easy that pretty soon you've eaten so many meals and had so many uh, times together and yet just down the road, just down the road is someone hurting and you know the story that you love because God moved first. You love because he forgave you. You love because of, of what he's done for you. And then God says, will you love? Will you love? And I guess I leave that with us today. You know, Lord, we say, Lord, I can, re I can love as long as I, 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 need to, I receive your love, then I can love. And God says, you know, when God calls us to love, almost always it's not in normal places. It's weird stuff. You know, it really is. It's odd stuff. It's love, unlovable people in weird places who don't deserve it outwardly, and God says love. And we say, not here, God. I mean, you give me my list and I'll love. God says, there it is. It's right in front of you. You know, I'll just share with you, uh, Deb and I have moved into a new area we got, a, we got a gravel road coming in there. I had a friend here a couple weeks ago that came over, and he said, I said, got going down that road, and I thought, John won't live down at the end of this road. You know, he would not live on this road. No, God put us on that road. But there's a family just down the road, and I see these little girls out working, and I just see that they need Jesus so bad. But I'm the priest, I'm the Levite, going home from work, going to church, preparing messages, having another meeting. And there they were yesterday, Saturday, doing a couple jobs, 
they need Jesus. You can look over at their house and it's a mess. They need Jesus. And you know what? I'm speaking about love to you today. I'm speaking about that that flows outside these doors that God speaks to you. And as much as we enjoy this fellowship at, at Calvary Chapel Surprise and enjoy each other and the, and the blessing of communion together like we're going to enjoy, that somewhere in this, he'll touch us in a place that he wants us to love that we didn't think we'd go. Think, go up and down the roads. Think of your family. Wednesday morning, Debbie and I go to, to the bedside of her dying sister in Salinas, California. I don't think she knows Jesus completely yet. That's more important than anything else in this church. When God calls you to love, there is some place he's calling you that something must be surrendered to go. But I believe he's calling everyone here, there, in some way or another, some way. And as we let God work and let God speak, uh, God's love is shed abroad. You ever think about just all the gifts that we shower in each other in all the different packages and presents. And then the Holy Spirit comes to you and he says, give the gift of love. Just give it away. It was given to you. Give it away. Just give it away. That someone sees Jesus. Not just at this season, but this is, is, is a life, it's a life message. We can love, but I come back to just that question, do I love God? And we say, Lord, I love you. I really, really do. And then the Lord says, okay, now go love your brother. Go love him. It might be your brother. That's not a problem I have. I, I, I don't have a problem with the brother. Usually it's someone else. It's something else. It, it's just, but it wasn't planned. It wasn't what I wanted. And the Lord says, go love your brother. But as we receive his love, we can love. And that love flows from us to other people. And I'd love to think that right out of this assembly right here, there's a lot of gifts that go out at Christmas because someone was loved by God and chose to love, love someone else. Let God speak to you. Let him share that secret with you that I can't share. Only God knows. Only God's the one that can make the difference. You know, very shortly, we'll go into communion, and, and there it will be. We will open, we will take, partake of this cup, this little, this little portion of bread and a little bit of this juice, and all that does is manifest to us how much God loves us. Don't forget, he's, Jesus said, you do this in remembrance of me. Paul said it. Don't forget it. I give you something tangible to not forget how great my love is. And how deeply it's affected everyone and how much people need my love. So today as we come to this time of communion, we want to just give an invitation to all of you to respond to God as even as we're partaking of these emblems, respond to God the way God is speaking to you.
the way he's sharing with you. It's a, it's a sacred place. It's a secret place. Sometimes we want to get our three friends together there. No, that's not usually where God's moving. He's just simply saying, let my love flow through you as you receive it. Even today, in a symbol, a form. And for the, if there's, there's someone here today, and I don't know who they are, that has never learned to, to love because they've never grasped the love of God, that God moved first, that God so loved that he gave, that God loved us first. If that's you, just come forward and give your life to Jesus today and say, Lord, I believe that you loved me first and I want to love you. Not because I'm worthy, but because of your great love for me. And then let God do what only God can do in every life. But let's have a prayer as we prepare for communion. Lord God, we thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the promises of your word. Father, I thank you for the lessons of love that you teach us. And, but more than that, Lord, thanking you for your love that you have, you have poured into us in the most amazing ways as you've shared with us as you sent your son, but then you live within us through your spirit giving us the power to love in places and ways that we never thought was possible. Oh, Lord, have your way as we enter into this time of communion. May your spirit be made manifest. May we see beyond the emblem, beyond the tangible evidence of communion to the supernatural that you are God and your love is so abundant and so great. In Christ's name we pray, amen.